I'd like to begin by explaining why um, in 15 years of preaching at Emmaus Church, I have never one time, never once done a marriage series. Uh, the reason is really simple. It's because as soon as you say, I'm going to do a marriage series, anyone who's not married feels like, well, that's not for me, right? Obviously. Um, so why am I doing this now? Well, there's four reasons I'm doing this now. First, I've got some really good material. Uh, I've married 33 couples. I put my heart into these messages. My brother-in-law says I always swing for the fence at weddings. And uh, so there's no Hallmark card, nice, fluffy stuff in this, right? I want to give this material. I hope it will be really helpful. Second reason, lots of us are married. Lots of us are married. Not all of us, clearly, but lots of us are. Third reason, all of us who are married experiences, experience real challenges in marriage. All of us. If we're married, it's hard. We experience challenges in our marriages. In fact, those challenges that we feel in our marriages are the reason a lot of us decided I should probably start going to church. It is. People tell me this. Oh, maybe we should try church. Uh, it motivates us. Bottom line, difficult uh, marriage is difficult. All, and, and so those who are married, those of us who are married, we need our spirituality to impact our marriages. Absolutely do. We need our relationship with God to make a difference in the relationship that we're experiencing with our spouse day in and day out. More on that <clears throat> in a second. Fourth reason I'm doing this now and I'm doing this here in this general anyone can come kind of space is this. This. This isn't really a marriage series. That's why. This isn't really a marriage series. Here's why I say that this is not really or this is not just a marriage series. This is a relationship series. What I'm going to talk about is what the Bible has to say specifically to Christians about how we are to be in relationship. All right? Including all relationships, but specifically marriage. Not limited to marriage, but all relationships. What I'm really going to talk about is how Christians are to be in relationship. Secondly, marriage is just a really good example of a relationship. It's a really helpful example for us to consider. So this isn't just about marriage, but I will talk about marriage quite a bit because marriage is a uniquely intense, uniquely intimate, and uniquely indefinite relationship. It's uniquely intense because it's exclusive. It is a community of two right? Anything else is extra marital. It's uniquely intimate because it's always before you. 24-7, 365 days a year, this is an, this is an intimate uh, relationship. And it's uniquely indefinite in the sense that it's for life, right? This lasts a long time. So as a uniquely intense, intimate, and indefinite kind of relationship, marriage can serve as kind of a laboratory for us. We can learn from this experience. Marriage is like almost any other kind of, of relationship, except it's just under intense pressure. So we should look at it, and we should pay attention, and we should watch what happens. How interesting. You're going to spend your whole life with this person. What happens when we throw a little selfishness in there? Oh, that's going to be good, right? What happens when we add financial pressure to marriage? Let's put that in a laboratory and watch what happens, right? What happens when you add 
a kid to marriage, right? It's a whole different ballgame. Okay, so like a monastery is a uniquely intense, intimate, and indefinite form of Christian community. Not all people are called to be monks, but monasteries can teach the church something about Christian community because it's so intense, it's so intimate, so indefinite. In a similar way, marriage can teach us a lot about all relationships because it's just like other relationships in almost all ways except potentially a bit more intense. So we can learn uh, about relationships through this extreme version of relationship that we might call marriage. And then finally, here's the third and most important reason that I maintain that this really isn't a marriage series. It's because the most commonly quoted passage of scripture about marriage if you're going to say, what does the Bible say about marriage? You might turn to four or five places in Scripture. One of them will certainly be the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It is clearly the most direct and apparently specific instruction given to Christians about how to be married. He talks about mutual submission. He talks about husbands. And he talks about wives. But then after 11 verses about husbands and wives, Paul the author himself says this, but I am talking about Christ in the church. In other words, according to Paul, marriage is a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. Of course, it's a real thing, but it is also a metaphor. It's supposed to teach us. It's supposed to instruct us, all of us, whether we're married or like Paul, we're single. It's supposed to teach us, uh, this intense relationship is supposed to teach us about other relationships. Our relationship with our siblings, our relationships with our friends, our relationships with our you know, husbands to wives, as well as sons and daughters, and uh, moms to sons and fathers to daughters. So even more importantly, whether we recognize it or not, marriage is designed to teach us about the ultimate relationship, which is our relationship with God. Marriage is designed to teach us about the ultimate relationship our relationship with God. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. He said, I'm talking about marriage, but I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. I'm actually talking about um, how Christian relationships are designed to teach us, and even more than that, form us and shape us and sanctify us toward union with God. That's the point. That's the big picture. That's the goal, union with God. So this short three-week series is called Becoming One. This is not a marriage series. That's one of my favorite titles, I think, in about 10 years. Becoming One, this is not a marriage series. I'm just going to hit on one simple concept today, and for simplicity's sake, I'll, I'll talk in terms of marriage, but as I've said, the principles are transferable to almost all relationships. All right, here's the big idea for today. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is not 50-50. I don't know where this idea that you know, you give a little, I give a little, we meet somewhere in the middle. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who said marriage is 50-50, but I, I doubt they were married very long, right? Because this is not the way it works. This is not a practical approach, and more importantly, it's not Christian, right? Um, you can't hold anything back. Marriage is 100%, 100%, and you're responsible for your 100%. Marriage is 100%. You got to be all in all of the time. Not only does 50-50 not work, more importantly, it's not Christian. A measured, cautious, looking over your shoulder, keeping your options open approach 
to relationships is not a biblical approach to relationships. It's not a biblical approach to friendship. It's not a biblical approach to parenting. It's certainly not a biblical approach to marriage. Here's why I say that. Here's why I would argue that's true. Because marriage relationships, I'm sorry, because Christian relationships are based on a covenant, not a contract. In other words, the unique model for relationship, which is established in the Bible, is a covenant, which is an unconditional promise. By contrast, you have contracts, which are conditional promises. So let's say you really like my truck, and we decide that you'll buy my truck. And we decide, okay, well, we settle on a price, say like 10 grand from my truck, but there's all kinds of things that are wrong with my truck. And so you, and I agree that you'll pay $10,000 from my truck, but I will repair the things that are wrong with my truck. And then we'll meet like in two weeks and we'll make the exchange. All right. And so then you show up in two weeks to get the truck, but you bring nine grand, not 10. Well, you have not kept up your part of the bargain And so, therefore, I am released from my part of the bargain, right? Because it's a contract. So if you don't do your part, then I'm released from my part. Similarly, if I show up and you've got your 10 grand, but I didn't do the repairs that I agreed ahead of time I would do to the truck, well, then you're released from your part of the bargain, too. I haven't fulfilled my part of the bargain. You are, therefore, therefore released from, from your part of the bargain. Even if we shook hands, even if we signed a piece of paper or whatever, It's a contract. It's a conditional promise. If I don't keep up my side of the deal, you are released from your side of the deal, right? So um, for the most part, relationships in our culture, they work like contracts. They work like contracts. This is like the governing model for relationships that most of us are just used to. And it's probably always been this way. Certainly there were contracts all throughout time, and, and there are contracts in the Bible, Um, But in in really ancient times, like in the time of Abraham, a couple of thousand years before Christ, instead of establishing a promise or a contract with the shake of a hand, like we might be used to, or signing a piece of paper, they they would cut an animal into two pieces. They put one half over here, one half over there, and then the parties of the agreement, the two parties would walk in between the the broken apart parts of of the animal. Potentially as if to say, if I don't keep up my part of the bargain, may something like this happen to me, right? We're going to ratify the promise in this, in this sort of strange way. Um, now, something really interesting happens in Genesis. In Genesis 15, as God begins to reveal himself to people, as God begins to reveal himself to Abraham, begins to reveal the kind of, the, the nature in which he will be in relationship with people, he, um, he establishes this with Abraham, this agreement God makes a promise to Abraham, and then he instructs Abraham to kind of draw up the standard walk between cut animal pieces contract, and he says, let's meet in a day or so, and we'll, 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 we'll ink this deal. Uh, but then God is late. He just doesn't show up when Abraham expects him to show up. And Abraham's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and it starts to get dark, and vultures are coming, and they're picking at the animals, and and God's still not showing up, and Abraham gets really sleepy, and he falls asleep. And then he wakes up a little while later, just in time to see as the sun is setting, he sees the sign of God walking through the ripped up parts of an animal, and he's distraught. 
This is a big deal. He's prepared for this. It's a contract with God after all. So Abraham goes big. He gets several animals, cuts them in half, makes a veritable red carpet here for him and God to walk through, sign this, like ink this contract. But then he falls asleep, and there's God. He's gone through the whole thing, and he's just upset about it. He thinks he's missed out on the deal. But um, here's how this is explained. Here's how Abraham comes to understand what has just happened. God has not actually made a contract with Abraham, a conditional state, a conditional promise. God has established a covenant with Abraham, an unconditional promise. God has essentially promised God's self to be faithful to Abraham, regardless of what Abraham does. Now, Abraham can reject this and fail to receive the benefits of being in a covenant with God, but the covenant itself is not dependent on whether or not Abraham does his part of the deal or not, because it's a covenant. It is an unconditional promise. Now, that's a super strange scene, isn't it, out of Genesis 15? Really weird. Maybe another example that helps us get our heads around it a little bit better, we're a little bit more familiar with it at least, is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus demonstrates his love for us in this way. He makes a promise and to rescue us from our sin through an unconditional act. Jesus gives 100% on the cross. He is all in, gives everything. There's nothing 50-50 about the cross. There's not, no sort of part way, you come part way. If the cross were a contract then it might go something like this. Jesus might come to me and say, okay, Nate, here's the deal. Uh, I need 300 good deeds and probably like 20% of your income you need to give away to people. If this were a contract. If this were a contract, then I would be able to respond by saying, ah, man, I think maybe 200 good deeds, uh, maybe 10%, 210%. If it were a contract, then Jesus would reply by saying, you know, 250 is my absolute minimum. Anything less than 250 good deeds, I'm out. You can keep your, your sin. <laughs> no deal. No cross for you, right? 250 is minimum. That's the deal. But it's not. It's not. Um, his act is unconditional. He gives everything to us. He goes 100% in on the cross, even for those who are killing him. The disciples hear him praying while they're putting nails in his hands. God, forgive them. Forgive these people who are assassinating me. Paul says that Christ demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My point is that the model for relationship that is established by God through his covenant with Abraham, through Christ's death on the cross in the Gospels, is an unconditional covenant. It is an unconditional promise. It's not a contract. It's not 50-50. He goes 100%. God is fully committed unconditionally. And that is the model for Christians in relationship, especially in marriage. The dominant relational model in our culture is contract. It's a conditional commitment. You don't make your part of the deal. I don't got to do my part of the deal. But followers of Jesus are called to embrace a different model for relationships, especially our relationships with our faith community, especially our relationships with our family, our friends, and especially, and in a unique way, our relationship with our spouse, if we're married. 
All right, so here's what I've said so far. Marriage is not 50-50 because Christian relationships are based on a covenant, not a contract. And then I very briefly gave two examples, that of Abraham and that of Jesus on the cross as to why that's true. You with me? Last, second question and last question. Why does this matter? Maybe it's true theologically, but what difference does it make? Why does it matter? In other words, why is this whole covenant instead of contract language so important? Friends, it matters because Christian relationships are sacramental. They're not ordinary. They're sacramental. They're not ordinary. By sacramental, I mean that the physical thing is a real thing, but it carries a spiritual significance with it. It's a physical thing that carries spiritual significance. A relationship like marriage is not an ordinary relationship. It is sacramental. It carries spiritual significance. It reveals spiritual truth. It even forms us in spiritual ways. It is super powerful. The relationship that you have with your father is another example of this kind of thing. It is no ordinary relationship. Yes, it's common in the sense that at some level everybody has a father, but it is not ordinary. This relationship matters a lot. Your relationship with your father, it reveals things to you or revealed things to you. Some big things like your identity, like your own understanding of your own worth, This is no ordinary relationship. This is super powerful. Your relationship with your father or maybe your relationship with your mother has played a massive role in impacting the person that you have become, the ways you're even capable of loving. These are no ordinary relationships. These are sacramental relationships. They carry massive power. Yesterday, somebody delivered a package to my door. He knocked on the door. I opened the door. He said, here you go. I said, thanks very much. Totally inconsequential, ordinary relationship. It lasted like five seconds, right? Just an ordinary relationship. But then I closed the door, and I turned around, and I reengaged with my wife and with my boys in our home. And and those are, and this morning, I'm reengaging with all of you. My church community, these are the relationships that matter. These are the relationships that have massive consequence. These are the relationships that are sacramental. They carry spiritual import. They're incredibly important. So in his teaching on marriage, Paul writes this. This is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Christian husbands, in this case, are called to reflect the unconditional love of God to their wives. Or put another way, wives should be able to expect to understand and experience the unconditional love of God through their husbands. Paul is talking about marriage. But marriage is no ordinary relationship. It is a sacramental relationship. It is charged with spiritual truth and power. That's why Paul ends by saying, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about union with God is what Paul says. So these relationships that you have, 
This, this marriage that you have, these kids that you have, this family that you have, this community that you're a part of, they all matter because they have the ability, the relationships have the ability to reveal God. The idea that marriage is 50-50 is such an anemic, impoverished, low-bar understanding of marriage. No, I need to give myself 100% to my wife. 100%. I need to love Carmen unconditionally. Not if she does this or that. Not if she's like this or like that. Why? Because Jesus loves Carmen unconditionally, and it's my job to help her believe that. Because Jesus loves my children unconditionally. My job is to help them believe that. Because Jesus loves you unconditionally. And it's our job to help one another believe that that is true. When I fail to accurately reflect the love of God to my wife, my children, my church, I do big damage to my wife, my children, my church. Thankfully, there is mercy, and there is forgiveness, and there is restoration. But when I do reflect the love of God, when I do reflect the love of God, even in some small way, friends, I give life. I give life, and those I love well actually can experience and know the love of God through our relationship. Amen? Amen. Let's take a minute. I just want to let you sit with this because that was a, a lot in a short amount of time, and then I'll pray. Let's just rest in this for a minute. Pray with me. First, Lord, we say thank you for loving us unconditionally. You have gone first. You have gone before. You have engaged our brokenness with unconditional love. And we say thank you. And secondly, thank you for the wonderful and fearful privilege of relationship with other people. The power you entrust to me and to others to literally shape perceptions about you. Have mercy on us, Lord. You know we fail more than we succeed. But I pray for grace to ditch the paltry perspective on marriage that is consuming our culture and to say, well, no, that's not, not for me. I'm involved in something holy. And the consequences of this are massive. God, may we embrace the relationships you've given us 
especially marriage if we're married, uh, with a new sense of focus and purpose. May the relationships that you have given to us as a gift form us into the image of Christ. May we become more like you because of our marriages, because of our being a part of a family, being a part of a church. May we be formed into the image of Christ. May we be unified, Lord, with you. May we become one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.